Hello, and welcome to the American Society for Parental and Enteral Nutrition, or ASPEN, Malnutrition Awareness Week podcast on maternal malnutrition. My name is Dr. Peggy Gunter, and today we're honored to have with us Dr. Christina Valentine, Chief Medical Officer at Reckitt Nutrition and Professor and Neonatologist at the University of Arizona. Dr. Valentine has done extensive research on nutrition in mothers and infants, both prenatal and after delivery. This podcast has been supported by Reckitt Mae Johnson. Okay, Dr. Valentine, as you recall, last year we spoke with you on the topic of DHA supplementation for lactating mothers of infants and the ways to help supplement their diet in order to improve the quality of the breast milk. Today, we want to discuss diet in the pregnant mother and how that might affect outcomes. Can you elaborate on your recent findings in clinical nutrition? Yes, thank you so much, Peggy, for having me. And thanks to the Aspen Society for really putting malnutrition awareness out there. We found in a preliminary examination of the moms that I was taking care of in the NICU, their babies, that their micronutrition was really low compared to dietary recommended intakes. On the new study that we completed in supplementing moms with DHA in early pregnancy, it really impacted preterm outcomes. The moms were more likely to have a full-term pregnancy if they took 1,000 milligrams of DHA. And most importantly, mothers should be aware that even in this United States, malnutrition in pregnancy is very high. In this larger study where we had 1,100 moms in the study, we were able to do really nice dietary history questionnaires and multiple 24-hour recalls in these moms. We had a diverse population, which was also good. We're trying to make sure that we understand the American woman who is very diverse. And we found that micronutrition in pregnancy is very concerning. In fact, what was very concerning in the cohort is that micronutrition was limiting in pregnancy. In a lot of the mothers, dietary intakes of choline, folate, iron, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin E, magnesium, and potassium were below the advisable intakes. And in some of the participants, even thiamine and B6 were very low. So it really becomes important when we're thinking about these nutrients that they not only improve pregnancy outcomes, but for the baby, the fetus in utero, if they don't get some of these key nutrients, that can impact their brain development, their affect, their mood. What we're finding is that this micronutrition in pregnancy is critical, not only for fetal growth and development, but what we're understanding is that long-term psychiatric health outcomes are associated with these nutrients. So it behooves all of us to spread the awareness about nutrition in pregnancy the problems with these nutrients and what food sources we can get these nutrients from. Okay, that's so interesting, this micronutrient stuff. I want to switch just a minute about macronutrients. We talked last year about fish oil. 
can you talk a little bit about specifically the fish and fish oil supplements that might be best for pregnant mothers? And then we'll talk also about what other macronutrients seem to be really essential for the developing fetus. Yes, Peggy, it was striking. What is currently advisable for mothers that are pregnant is to have a optimal pregnancy term birth. It appears that having docosahexaenoic acid or DHA closer to 1,000 milligrams a day is our target. Well, in our investigations using diet recalls in these moms and food frequency questionnaires, the majority of the mothers were only taking in 23 milligrams from the diet. Here's the problem. The majority of docosahexaenoic acid can be synthesized in many of us if we are healthy and we have enough linolenic acid in our diet, the essential omega-3. However, in pregnancy, that rate-limiting step to develop DHA from linolenic acid can be very limiting from caloric inadequacies, from protein. And so having a pure source of DHA in your food becomes really important. Well, unfortunately, there's only a few sources where you can get DHA preformed, and that is, as you allude to, is a fatty fish source. And what we learned is that the wild-caught salmon, for instance, the wild-caught mackerel, wild-caught cod that are ingesting healthy algae is where they get their DHA in their, in their meat. So you have to be really careful because if you're getting a farm-raised fish, you have to make sure what is the farmer feeding those fish or they're not going to have that same DHA content. Well, other sources are similar in if you feed chickens or hens this algal DHA, you can have the egg yolk source have some DHA, which is all well and good. But the majority of my mothers in our cohort of women across Kansas, Ohio State University, and the University of Cincinnati at the time, they were not interested in fatty fish as a source of intake. And so the majority of the women would have an occasional egg. And so their dietary intake of DHA was only 23 milligrams a day, so far short of the target. So we had to result in thinking about, in addition to diet, what supplements to recommend to the moms. And in our trial, we specifically used the algal source of DHA to get that 1,000 milligrams into their daily intake to get rid of that deficit. And that was so well tolerated because it doesn't have that fish oil aftertaste that some mothers have or fish burps. Now, if you do want to use a fish oil source, the only caveat is folks have to understand that fish oil supplements are not necessarily all the same. You have to see what the DHA content specifically is in that fish oil supplement. It can be very low. And also just be aware to talk to your practitioner because fish oil supplements have a cosopentanoic acid also in there, which can thin platelets. And we just didn't want to have any risk for bleeding during pregnancy or lactation at the time when we were looking at supplements. And that's 
why we use the algal supplement. Besides the fish oil, the fatty source, are there any other specific macronutrients that really need to be accounted for or perhaps recommended? Well, certainly ensuring moms have adequate calories. What can be a problem is we all know with malnutrition, you can have overabundance of empty calories without fiber. And that can lead to issues with type 2 diabetes and pregnancy-related diabetic issues. This is extremely important to talk to moms about their fiber intake. I find that you can find out quickly the fiber intake is such a link to the micronutrition I was talking about. It also can give you a host of insights as to how she is getting her food, where she's getting her food. We have a lot of food deserts in the United States, and we really had to make an effort to ensure moms knew about women, infant, children programs, supplemental food banks. There was some cool uh, farmer markets that could be available to the moms to help them really understand that you have to ensure the calories you're taking in have this healthy fiber intake, which is about 25 grams per day is what we're trying to target. And then really looking at the food sources moms like to ingest and make it really helpful for her. So a lot of our moms would eat black beans or they would have navy beans or they would like peas, for instance. We had a better opportunity to increase their intake if we use foods that they liked and that their family would take in. So we really concentrated on sweet potatoes, on helping them understand black-eyed peas, different recipes, thinking about blackberries, different leafy green vegetables, cauliflower, different ways to make pumpkin, things that could be easily and at a cost containment way purchased at the store with whole wheat pasta and cabbage, for instance, bananas. And when we did that, we found that moms were more likely to take in the fiber they needed in that three-day average. So thinking about good calories by improving fiber and really helping them focus on thinking about foods that have both the fiber and the micronutrition really was a key way we were able to improve the mom's diet. And it was striking the probability for an early preterm birth was significantly different in the moms that were able to concentrate on on that 1,000 milligrams of DHA and eating a better diet. That's great. Back to the micronutrients. Say the moms try to take all of this in as much as they can. Are there recommendations for a micronutrient supplement that you can generally make? Do you think a prenatal vitamin or something that might help them with these, particularly those real micronutrients? Yes. What was remarkable is that we just, it's just hot off the press, Peggy. So it was wonderful that we could talk. Just this week, our article was published on the micronutrient gaps and the supplements used in this diverse cohort of women in nutrients. And it can be downloaded free so folks can get down into the detail of what we discovered. But what was clear is that dietary supplements are varied, very variable, (laughs) very different in content quality. So you have to really 
get your registered dietitian, get your nutrition expert to take a look at these. Go to the USDA website. They have some wonderful charts and recommendations. You can compare your supplement. But the good news was, despite this variability in the different supplements, the majority of women were able to get their adequate intake improved for these micronutrients that I was talking about. The only problem still remains with choline, magnesium, and iron. Now, choline is essential for so much of the brain development, magnesium and potassium, those kinds of things for making sure you have all those pathways and enzymes running properly, bone and growth development. So it's still a concern that despite all these supplements that moms were taking, that these nutrients are still standing out. It is important for moms to perhaps understand where they can get these from foods. And as a dietitian and a physician, I always want to go to food first. And so we talked a lot about egg sources for choline, you know, nuts, if parents could ingest nuts safely, as well as fruits for potassium and magnesium, sweet potatoes. And so there's some fun ways you can talk to folks about what to target to get those nutrients in because it's hard to put choline into a supplement with all those other nutrients. And I think that we need to move to think about having choline as a separate supplement and or target those food sources. Okay, terrific. So how do we as nutrition clinicians get the word out to other healthcare professionals about these nutrient needs and improvement and outcome? And how can we get this education to consumers as well? Well, I think this is a start. Having forums of discussion that are snackable, that are easy to understand, doing podcasts, taking the information we read and doing more formal ways of approaching folks on social media as an organization, highlighting these key components and tweeting them. I believe that we are even finding that our medical students and our medical residents, our trainees in nursing school, as well as our dietetic students are telling us that they really like YouTube, they like Instagram. So I think we should gather this information in a snackable way and get it out on the forums folks are going to listen to and really talk about what food sources to think about for some of these nutrients. Choline, having more eggs, folic acid, thinking about green leafies, orange juices, iron. You know, one trick I had with iron with many of the women I deal with who feel that iron supplements sometimes constipate them is getting a strained baby meat with iron and putting it in their sauces for their spaghetti, putting it in their mashed potatoes, hiding it in ways that will give them enough iron for this healthy pregnancy and beyond. Vitamin D sources. There are some narratives out there that are really hurting the dairy intake of mothers. And truly, we're finding, if you look at the blue zones of the world where people live healthy, long lives, they eat some good dairy, you know, feta cheese, good milk sources to get that vitamin D and calcium in. Zinc, the same trick, trying to use either 
a toddler powder product to put in, hide in your pancakes and in your food that has these additives or a strained meat source if you just can't eat the meat itself. Magnesium, potassium again, trying to get more fiber in. What does 25 milligrams of fiber mean to people? How many servings of having some peas, black beans, and some fruits in a more savvy way? It's interesting. The USDA has some great handouts. Folks can use those and link to those. But we found we had to take what our Latina women, our African-American women, our women in our study actually had available, accessible, and target which foods would be better for them. So I think getting in the game, as I always say to my family, we need to get in the game better on social media and try to help this impact on pregnancy and outcomes. Yep, that's great. And and trying to get these moms who may also have other children and families to not cook separately for them and cook for their own families as well is really, really challenging. So again, Dr. Valentine, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today with our Aspen audience. Our appreciation goes out to direct at me, Johnson, and to you for all your hard work and trying to make lives better for moms and babies. So we appreciate it. Thank you for this opportunity, Peggy. And thanks to Aspen for the awareness on malnutrition that still exists even in this United States. So thank you. 